Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast. As you know, we broadcast live every Friday at 9 Eastern Time from Newark, New Jersey. As I glance out at the Empire State Building and I listen to my smooth Lonnie Liston Smith, I take a look at Broad Street. I want to remind you that everything I say is my own opinion. It's only reflective of my own personal standpoints and does not reflect the opinions or the positions of any other entity, governmental or otherwise. All that being said, it's another hot August day, although it was a little cooler today than it's been in past August days this month. And for that, we are a bit thankful. We are following several news stories, and tonight we're going to talk about Donald Trump's mail fraud hysteria. We're going to talk about the selection by Joe Biden of Kamala Harris as his running mate. We are going to discuss the Breonna Taylor case as it continues to get much needed and deserved publicity, but as I caution you, it has been widely misreported, and as I caution you, fellow attorneys such as myself for whatever reason have been reluctant to actually give you the facts on the case so some of your expectations some of the things you think may not be actually lined up with what actually may happen and for i'm going to be the person that you can trust and i'm going to be the person that's going to be honest with you always so i'm going to give you the actual legitimate story there and discuss the parameters of a investigation that's ongoing and of possible charges, if any, that may come of that case. Now, the first thing I want to touch on, because it was all over CNN, which what else is new, but it was all over CNN today, was this Donald Trump maneuver where this this mail-in ballot thing, you know, at first I thought it was just some... You know, small time, not really important little angle that Donnie and his people were playing. This little mail-in ballot fraud. I thought he was simply planting the seeds to try to delegitimize the election. That's what I initially thought, right? I thought it was not that big of a deal. He was simply going to tell his followers and tell the ardent supporters on the right that mail-in ballots were going to cause fraud, and therefore, when I lose... When I lose, do not think that it was legitimate. It was actually all these fake ballots, right? And I thought it was as innocuous as such a position could be innocuous, right? I.e., it's sinister in his undermining of our confidence in an American election. However, I thought it was innocuous in the sense that I don't think it, I didn't think it would actually amount to anything in reality, right? But now, as we see certain states saying that they are going to rely primarily on mail-in ballots. And as we see people still afraid of COVID-19, as it is a prevalent and dangerous thing in many states across America, and many people are afraid, we now see some legitimate, legitimate reports of Donald Trump attempting to restructure, quote-unquote, attempting to reorganize, quote-unquote, the United States Postal Service in a way such that mail-in ballots may be A, lost, B, confusing to get in, or C, delayed considerably 
and delayed so considerably that the election may be in doubt for several days or a week or more because the counting of the mail-in ballots may take some time. One, because they usually take some time anyway. And two, because of the way he's handling the United States Postal Service in handling these mail-in ballots. Now, that's a problem, right? The posturing coming from the White House regarding these ballots is really getting ramped up. Rather than being some, you know, blip on the radar of the news stations, rather than being some small-time, minuscule talking point of the right, this is becoming something that may well be serious. If mail-in ballots are restricted due to the restructuring and downsizing of the Postal Service, coupled with the lack of in-person voting opportunities due to coronavirus, we could really be dealing with a serious, serious, I don't want to say crisis because I don't want to be melodramatic, but a serious issue in our democracy. Now, it's important to remember that this is a president who lost the popular vote by three million people. Three million votes went against this person. So we can debate the merits of the electoral college, whether it's necessary, whether it's not. We can do that all day, right? But whether or not you think it's legitimate, the fact is that this president is serving for the past four years with, while losing the, pub, the popular vote by three million. So the American people as a whole, as a whole, by three million, had rejected him four years ago. Yet he is the commander-in-chief. He is the president of the United States. And now he is seeking to further, he's already in that position where he was not popularly elected by the people that he's governing. Now he is seeking to suppress the vote even further in order to win an election. Now, whether you are right of center, whether you are left of center, that should be concerning to you if you care at all about democracy, if you care at all about what the principles our founding fathers handed down to us. Even if you sort of like him, maybe for his goofy sense of humor, maybe for his epic gaffes, whatever your reason is, you still should have some hesitancy about the man who's already in a position of weakness as far as the electorate because he's lost by three million votes, now trying to further suppress the vote with the mail-in ballot issue and the United States Postal Service issue. If you can win an election fair and square, and your rhetoric is honest, as some Trumpies like to say, and you are straightforward or funny, as some Trumpies like to say, then so be it. But the minute you embark on a strategy and a tactical mission to suppress a vote or to tactically win an election by means other than legitimate political advertising, i.e. suppressing the mail-in vote, you should be called into question by every truthful and honest patriot in this country. 
And I understand that patriotism these days is, is, is almost a dirty word, right? The right likes to evoke patriotism to say that we're nationalists, borderline fascists, i.e. we don't question anything the red, white, and blue does. And the other side, the left, wants to almost say that patriotism is, a, is an evil word because how dare you support anything that the red, white, and blue does. But the fact is, if you really get down to the root of what patriotism is, it has nothing to do at all with whether you back no matter what or whether you hate no matter what what America's doing at the moment. Patriotism means do you stand for the ideals? Do you stand for the institutions? And do you stand for the principles of what America was founded on? One of those things being democracy. Now, we are not a direct democracy. Anybody who's studied political science, as I have, knows that. We're a republic, nonetheless. Any individual actively and proactively seeking to suppress the vote should be called into question by any true patriot, no matter what your beliefs are. Whether you're a conservative, whether you're a religious conservative, you're a progressive, you're one of these hippies I always make fun of, you're one of these anarchists, whatever you are, if you believe in at all in democracy, at all in freedom, at all in the institutions of America, you should be calling into question, calling into question what's going on. And I see somebody already commenting that a patriot is, is in the street protesting peacefully, and I agree with that. I agree with that. That is patriotism. That is the First Amendment in practice, okay? So the true patriot should be calling this into question, and it's scary. It's scary that this mail-in ballot issue has become so prevalent. We should not be dealing with things in terms of how many people can we get turned out, how many votes can we turn away. That's not democracy, right? Even if, even though I detest it, misinformation, political posturing political advertising, even if that was the deciding factor in any given election, that would at least be somewhat acceptable because it's it's your strategy, but the voter turnout is not the variable that you're worried about. To sit there and say, I want less people to vote because it's better for me, I will strategize and strategically limit the vote and make it harder to vote so I can win is the antithesis, the antithesis of what it is to be an American leader and also the antithesis of what it is to be a righteous politician if there is such a thing or a righteous government official if there is such a thing. That is the antithesis of it. So beware what's coming. Because ladies and gentlemen, now we have a vice president in place The election is going to pivot. Once this hot dog days of summer August is over, we are going to pivot, and it's going to be election season. It's going to be full on election season. We're going to have the debates. We're going to have political advertising. We are going to have a full court press from both sides to see who is going to take the reins or who is going to remain in control of the United States of America for the next four years. Now, my stance is an analytical one. My stance is a logical one. And all I'd say regarding the election going forward is simply this. We can try to blame the 
Trump administration. We can try to blame the virus itself and whether you want to attribute the virus to a conspiracy theory, whether you want to attribute the virus to a random act of nature, which is more than likely what happened, whether you want to attribute the virus to China not doing enough at the inception of it to suppress it before it got here. No matter what your stance is, no matter what your stance is on the virus itself, it should be fresh in everybody's mind that we elect leaders not just to represent our ideologies, not just to go to rallies and spout off the things that we agree with, not just to try to push through our agendas and put them on everybody else in the country. But we elect leaders to do a job. And when we elect a president of the United States, we expect that person to keep things running behind the scenes so that we can live our lives. If you're a football coach in college, if you run a movie theater, if you're a film director, if you own a small deli somewhere on an avenue in Jersey, you want somebody running the country who you can count on to prevent things like is going on now, i.e. COVID, from interfering with your daily life. And whether you tune into this person and agree with them, or tune into this person and hate them, or he's pushing through some pet legislative idea that you've had for a couple years or not, the primary and first and foremost responsibility of these people is to do their job properly. And as we go into the election of 2020, it should be evident to all, all logically thinking people, that the current president, whether it was a conspiracy, whether it was a natural occurrence, whether it was on China, whether it was on Europe, whether it was whatever it was, this individual currently in charge did a poor job. A poor job of containing this virus, a poor job of coordinating our efforts to counteract this virus, a poor job of keeping us out of the turmoil that we now find ourselves in. An incredibly poor job, and it speaks for itself. And if I was running the Biden campaign and I was going to Ohio, which is a swing state, although it looks like it's a pro-Trump territory now, if I was handling Ohio, the first thing I would say was Ohio State football. You don't have football this year and you're outraged about it, aren't you? Now, rather than blame some virus or rather than blame the liberal Democrat presidents of the Big Ten universities, rather than blame these people for canceling the season, what if we had had a legitimate, functional, competent person in the White House what if we had had a legitimate, competent person in the White House? Wouldn't that person have prevented the virus from proliferating the way it has and thus letting you have your football season? That should be the primary attack everywhere, and it should be always and often. If we had had a competent individual in office, wouldn't we have had a football season? Wouldn't your small business be thriving better than it is? 
wouldn't we not be debating over mail-in ballots and it wouldn't be that big of an issue because we wouldn't be afraid to go to the voting booth and vote? That should be the primary line of attack of anybody and forget strategy, forget picking sides, forget all of that. That is common sense. This is the Logic and Larry podcast and we only deal with what makes sense. We don't pick sides unless they make sense. And it's evident, and Donald Trump knows that it's evident, that he has failed in the biggest test that has hit his presidency. And it was all well and good when he was just talking, and it was all well and good when he was riding the waves of the Obama economy, and he didn't do anything to screw it up. And it was all well and good while he was sneaking reforms into executive orders and bureaucratic agency directives that undermined our public lands and undermined our endangered species and undermined our efforts to curb climate change. That was all good because no one really paid attention. But those of us who always had deep, sincere questions about the leadership ability of one Donald Trump always knew the biggest fear we had was, God forbid an actual tragedy or an actual crisis lands on our front doorstep. Is this individual competent enough to deal with it? And we were worried that the answer was no. He was not competent enough to deal with it. And unfortunately, we've been proven right. COVID-19 has proven that Donald Trump was not up to the job and that he was incompetent. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can look around. And then you can take the word of all the various advisors and people that worked for him that agree with me and that have come out in books and interviews and sound bites and said the same themselves. People who he called the best people ever, who you celebrated when they were hired because their credentials were impeccable. They've seen it firsthand. They've been sitting next to him and they are telling you he has been a failure. And it's scary that somebody who already lost the election by 3 million votes is now trying to suppress the vote further via reorganizing, quote-unquote, the United States Postal Service. Be aware. Be aware of what's going on around you with this election and these tactics. And that being said, let's discuss some of these tactics and let's pivot. Let's discuss where we are in the presidential election. The biggest news this week, as most know, was the selection by Joe Biden of a running mate. And his running mate was Kamala Harris. Now already, already I'm seeing the seeds being sown of voter suppression, not just with the male, but with ideology. Voter suppression, not just with ideology, but with memes. And not just with memes, but with social media proliferation of misinformation. Guys, the first time around, one of Trump's primary tactics, look it up if you don't believe me, one of Trump and the Russians, mind you, whether they were colluding or not, the Russians were acting on their own behalf to get Trump elected. Whether Trump knew or not is debatable. Most say he knew. Most also say there's no direct evidence that he actually colluded. And that's the truth. However, at that last election... In 2016, 
one of the primary tactics used was to suppress enthusiasm and suppress the minority vote, specifically the black vote, in states where it mattered most. Now, I didn't initially even believe that this was possible. An individual who knew what was going on told me they are working on suppressing the vote in the minority community, and they are going to try to flip blue states red by suppressing urban turnout. At first, I thought it sounded ludicrous, it sounded impossible, it sounded like a feat that couldn't be done. However, what we saw, and this is specifically traceable to Detroit and Michigan, when Donald Trump won Michigan, it was by a razor-thin margin. Razor-thin. And when he won it, he primarily won it by having low turnout numbers in Detroit and other urban centers and low turnout numbers among African Americans. And if you watch what's happening today, this week specifically, the minute that Kamala Harris was selected as the vice president, you saw this a lot of rhetoric coming out all over Facebook, memes and things and stats and most of them false but coming out all over from every direction and people starting to buy into the notion, unfortunately, buy in. It started with a lot of right-wing Trump supporters that I know are Trump supporters, and they started to put it out there as if they were good actors, neutral actors, simply sharing information. Well, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor. You know, Kamala Harris was for mass incarceration. Kamala Harris was not very kind to criminal justice reform, etc., etc., and those people started it, but then, unfortunately and sadly, I've been seeing person after person who's a liberal person, a progressive person, somebody who does not want to vote for Donald Trump, those people coming out and spreading that misinformation, those people coming out and declaring Kamala Harris is evil or Kamala Harris is the enemy of the people. And that's a damn shame. You really need to look up what happened in Trinidad years ago, where a one group of people, there's more people of Indian descent there and there's people of African descent there, and the, the Indian group hired a firm who proliferated this fake ideology saying, we are not going to vote in the African community, we are not going to vote in the black community in Trinidad because we stand against the government as a whole because the government, no matter who you elect, is evil. It's the lesser of two evils, and I'm checking out. I'm not doing it. They had a little slogan. They had signs that they made with their arms, like, not going to vote. It went viral on social media, and the people thought that it was an organic movement started by the black kids themselves to not vote in the election. And the truth was, it was fake. It was started by the other side to, to decrease turnout amongst young African-descendant people in Trinidad. That is the same tactic they employed when they attacked Hillary Clinton on the crime bill. That is the same tactic they're employing now when they attack Joe Biden on the crime bill and Kamala Harris on her record as a prosecutor. Do not fall for it. And if you fall for it, then that's your own fault. I have no sympathy for you at that point. This is a 
administration that wants to take away DACA children's ability to get a path to citizenship. Okay? Kids that were born here, kids that were brought here at one and two years old through no fault of their own, who are American children, some of whom served in the military, some of whom worked here, went to college here, grew up here their entire lives. These kids, this administration is seeking to take away their ability to stay here legally and wants to deport them. This is an administration who locks babies in cages at the border. This is an administration who not only tries to curb illegal immigration, but is actively seeking to curb legal immigration by getting rid of things we've had for a long time, such as certain refugee statuses, asylum laws. This is an administration that already has appointed two conservative justices. And once Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away, which, folks, she's either passing or retiring soon. I got news for you. She's constantly in the hospital. This is an administration that would love to replace her with another conservative justice that puts a lot of things at risk on a Supreme Court who has already struck down the teeth and struck down some of the most vital portions of the Voting Rights Act, which directly affects voting discrimination amongst the African-American community, which is something that the revered civil rights leaders of the mid-20th century worked tirelessly to achieve. There is no choice. This is not something where you can choose to sit home because Kamala Harris locked up murderers in the 90s, and Kamala Harris was a little mean to certain people in the 90s. You gotta drop that and you can't fall for it because it's not liberals who are pushing it. It's just liberals who are buying it and eating it up. It's Trumpies who are selling it. Trumpies who are serving it. Don't be a pawn and fall for it. Now that being said, let's talk about Kamala Harris. I am a huge advocate and fan of Kamala Harris. This is a woman of mixed Indian American and African American descent who rose to one of the highest offices in one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country by being the DA of San Francisco, a woman who became the Attorney General of the state of California, one of the most populous and important states in the country. And this is a woman who was a United States Senator who comes off so, and, and let me be honest, right? Should there be standards in this country regarding sexism and the way we perceive women? A hundred percent. Do I think this country is still enormously sexist? 100% I do. Is there something to be said for any human being that can amazingly navigate the nuances and amazingly toe the line between being what people perceive as a woman and all that we associate with women and at the same time being strong as hell and being the biggest for lack of a better term, biggest dick in the room. Is there something to be said for somebody who can toe that line magnificently? There is. Kamala Harris has all the finesse and all the empathy and all the presentation that you'd expect from any of your most revered females, yet she has the ambition, the strength, 
the intelligence, the drive, the fight, the assertiveness that you want from any leader, male or female. And it's beautiful to see. All right? That's number one. Number two, this is a person of color who became, who started on the front lines of criminal prosecutions, started in the trenches of criminal justice, the trenches, and rose all the way up to be the top law enforcement officer in the state of California. This is not a person, like we see so often, who skips around, like, say, Donald Trump, who wants to lead the world, lead the U.S. military, but had bone spurs when it was his time to serve. Who calls out John McCain for getting captured, but would never have the balls to even get in a fistfight himself, as far as we know. Versus a woman who came from the trenches, prosecuting misdemeanors all the way up to the top law enforcement officer, all the way to vice presidential candidate. This is somebody who's lived what she's going to speak about. When she speaks about criminal justice, she's seen it firsthand. Now, you may not agree with everything she's done. You may not agree with every bit of her criminal justice record, but I assure you she knows what she's talking about. I assure you, even if she's made mistakes in the past and she's adjusted her philosophy now, it's because she actually knows where the flaws were because she's seen it firsthand. She knows what went wrong. She knows what could have been done better. She knows how to approach it because that's her background. And that is great. That's what we need right now. Now, I see people out there sharing, you know, Kamala Harris prosecuted parents who were truant, you know, and, and, and Rick mentions Giuliani. Yeah, Giuliani was, was not a bad mayor. He was a pretty good mayor. It's when he lost his complete noggin with Trump that he fumbled. He was a pretty good mayor, too, with that background. I'm not saying every single person who was a prosecutor is going to be great. I'm just saying, look at Kamala. This is a woman who people are out there saying, oh, she prosecuted the parents, the poor parents of truant children. How horrible is she? How could she do that? And I say to you, just research it. Not one parent, not one was ever locked up in jail because they had a truant child, not one. Some were charged and threatened. And they were only charged and they were only threatened after the school had given them ample aid, ample opportunity, ample assistance to get their children to school. And miraculously, miraculously, when Kamala Harris came into office and prosecuted the truant law, and put some pressure on these parents, the attendance in these areas went up. Then I ask you this, what do you want? This is a person of color who has a position of power. That position has to be filled by somebody. It's a necessary position. We've seen with the chop street, we've seen with other things, you need police, you need prosecutors. That's a part of society. Now we can change how they do business, We can certainly change how they approach law enforcement. We can change how they approach consequences. But we need people there. And isn't it better to have people in those positions who are people of color, of the community, who have tactics that work? Don't make the mistake that every poor parent on the block didn't send their kid to school. No. There are poor people, 99.9% of the poor people in these areas who are breaking their ass to send their kids to school, to work as best they can, to do everything they can to improve their child's life and opportunity. It's only a select few 
who are neglecting to adhere to their responsibilities as a parent and get their kid to school. It's not all poor people. It's not because they simply don't have the means. It's harder for them, but there's a parent next door and a parent above them and a parent below them that are doing it anyway. And all she did was say, you, you get your kid to school or you're gonna be in trouble. And they sent them. Now, if you have a bunch of children in an already precarious situation, who are already facing obstacles in this country due to systematic racism because they're already of color and they're already facing consequences for that through no fault of their own, the worst thing you can do for that person is to not send them to school is to not get them a proper education. And if their parents are failing them in that way, no matter what the reason, what she did was find a motivator and find a way to get those kids to school, to get them back on track and to give them an advantage they wouldn't have had if she didn't step in and challenge the parents and get them to school. There is absolutely no shame, nothing wrong with that. We need to let go of the notion that being more soft and getting rid of all consequences is the only way to improve things in this country. What do you want? They already got assistance from the school. They already had assistance in general. What else could be done to get the kids to school short of what she did? She did something positive for the community. Do not make the mistake of attacking her for doing something positive for the community with the power she had. She also brought down murders. The murder rate in San Francisco went down under her watch. She brought down the murder rate. People dying in the streets was brought down under her. Brought down under her. And that's another positive thing that she did. Marijuana is another hot button issue, but there was a public defender who came out, who worked with her, who was a, uh, a, a prominent public defender in California, a prominent public defender, and she came out saying, despite the fact that I ideologically am opposed to prosecutors, and I'm ideologically opposed to what they do, and I'm ideologically opposed to the system, I must state that Kamala Harris was one of the more progressive prosecutors that I've encountered. I must state that she was not overzealous with marijuana prosecutions. In fact, maybe only a dozen marijuana-charged people went to prison under her watch, and those people were major distributors, major growers of marijuana. And whether you like it or not, we are changing in this country, and we are gradually starting to allow cultivation in small amounts. We are gradually starting to legalize marijuana. The fact is that if you right now had an illegal distillery of moonshine, you'd also be prosecuted. So there's not some crazy double standard when you're going that far outside the bounds of the law and growing you know, huge marijuana growing operations. That's the only people she locked up, and there was only about a dozen, this woman said. Marijuana prosecutions in general went down under Kamala Harris. When she was the district attorney, when she was the attorney general, marijuana prosecutions overall went down under her watch. And my general read on that is this, whether you like her specifically or not, whether you're a Republican and you're not going to vote for her, whatever the, the case, take this away from what I'm saying. We need people of color, 
to be in positions of influence in this country. The idea that the only way forward is to resist the entire parameters of how our society functions and that that's how, somehow going to win you the game is a misnomer. It's not going to happen. It's a false prophecy. It's a false hope. You cannot simply sit out and try to change the entire game you're playing to win it. You've got to win it by playing the game to the best of your ability into the best way possible. If you want to win a football game, you come up with the most innovative offense possible. It could be unconventional. It could bring in different personnel. It could surprise the defense, but it's within the bounds of the game. When the Miami Dolphins came out with the Wildcat in 2008 and they beat the Patriots and they won the division, it was within the bounds of the game. They didn't go out there and try to play soccer. They didn't say we refuse to play because the Patriots are just killing this game. No, they went out there with the means they had, with the personnel and the rules available to them, and they dominated with a new, innovative, radical way of playing. And somebody like Kamala Harris and any African-American leader who dares step into the shoes of a police officer or step into the shoes of a prosecutor or some law enforcement official should not be vilified simply on the basis that they dared even take that position. That is a great way to disempower people, not to empower them, to say you can never be in that position or you can never control this particular aspect of society is disempowering. It's not empowering. And the fact is there are going to be criminals and there are going to be people who are not acting properly and that's going to happen no matter what we do as a society. So it's best to have people in positions who know how to decipher who to prosecute relentlessly and who to take a break on and she and her record are good examples of that. So do not fall. Do not fall for the nonsense going around the internet right now that is actively trying to suppress your enthusiasm and suppress your vote. Do not do it. All you're doing is walking into four more years of Trump. And if you are that far left that you can barely stomach Harris or Biden, if you are that far left that you could barely stomach the two of them, then I don't know what the hell you think you're going to do with four more years of Trump. Now, that's my ideologically focused opinion on her and what the left needs to watch out for. Let's talk about the fact that she appeals very well, appeals very well to people on the right or in the middle. She's a law enforcement official. She's a law enforcement official. She appeals very well to people in the middle who are on the fence. When, when people on the left or the right themselves, Trump's trying to suppress the left vote so hard that all he's doing is showing that how tough on crime she is. One of the most interesting parameters and dynamics of this race, which I, I talked to you guys about a couple weeks ago, one of the most interesting parameters of the race was... I said to you that the unrest in the cities, that the protests, that the destruction in the cities was going to play positively for Trump because the majority of people in general, left, right, whatever, unless they're far to one side, 
do not like violence, unrest, destruction. They don't like that. And so if Trump was going to declare himself the, you know, enforcer candidate, the uh, the heavy handed candidate who's against, you know, destruction and against lawlessness, it might benefit him with the moderates. Well, now he's in a precarious position where she's the vice presidential nominee. So he's trying to push out as much as he can to disenfranchise and upset the left about how hard she is on crime. And all he's really doing is reinforcing with the moderates how tough she is on crime. And that's a hell of a thing, right? That, that strategy is very interesting. That puts him in a tough position electorally, a tough position tactically as he navigates this campaign. So to me... The choice, whether it's fundamentally about who she is, fundamentally about how good of a candidate she is, or it's about tactics in the election, I think it was brilliant. Look at the position Trump finds himself in. And if the left, which I think most of them will come around after they get over, just like with Biden, they were a little annoyed at first, they all came back around. If they all come back around and they look at the actual statistics and the actual facts and they come back around, and now we're just fighting over the moderates and we're fighting over the people who are Republicans but really don't like Trump, and there's a lot of them. A lot of suburban Republicans, moderate people, don't like Trump because they know he failed as a leader to contain a virus, which is what I said earlier in the show. And they're looking for a reason to not vote for him. This helps give them one. And the other thing about her is she's younger and she's got energy and she's enthusiastic. And because Biden's old and because Biden talks like a grandpa sometimes and we're not sure how long Biden's going to be going, that gives people confidence that the individual stepping into those shoes is capable and has the energy, the wherewithal, the mental capacity to handle the job. And that's another great thing about Harris. So all in all, I think it was a great choice. I think people need to really look at the facts. People really need to look at what's going on. And they really need to, to acknowledge that the pick was good, that we're on the right track as a country if this duo gets in the, the, the White House because it's going to change things a lot in a positive way without being so radical to scare everybody away. And, and let's face it, not everybody agrees with everybody's ideologies. So this is a, a nice balanced group of people to take us to the next level. And they will entertain progressive ideas. But they're not going to do it to such an extent that they're blocking out any moderate ideas, any right ideas, things like that. They have a balanced approach and it's going to benefit us all because don't we all, let's be honest, don't we all just want to go back to life where the president is kind of in the background and we only really care about what he's doing when there's some big news story, some big law being passed, when there's some big you know, unfortunately, but hopefully not, conflict going on abroad, when there's some tragedy, when there's the State of the Union. Don't we want to go back to that so we could live our lives, run our businesses, do what we do without worrying about constant rhetoric and conspiracy and craziness and failures and new books coming out and staff turnovers and all the insanity that is the Trump White House's daily reality show? We don't want the craziness. We want to go back to normal. We want to thrive as Americans. And we want the people that are going to enable us to live our lives the right way. And although it doesn't guarantee happiness, it's certainly supposed to guarantee the pursuit of happiness. And the only way we can have a pursuit of happiness is if somebody's doing their job so that we can live our lives. 
So speaking of Ms. Harris, speaking of criminal justice, speaking of the hot button issue of the day, which we all know is race and we all know is policing and we all know is criminal justice, I want to address two things tonight. And they've both been things that have been prevalent in the social media sphere. They are both things that have been prevalent um, generally, socially, in, in, in conversation, in the, the public dialogue, so to speak. And these two things are, the first is, so there was a case this week in North Carolina where there was a young boy who was a toddler, five years old, and he was riding his bicycle in his front yard, and a neighbor of his, whom he knew, who the family knew, walked up to him, put a gun to the five-year-old boy's head, and shot him in the head, and he killed the five-year-old boy. Now, the family of the five-year-old boy had known the individual who shot him, and the family of the five-year-old boy had had the individual over for dinner before, had helped him with yard work, things of that nature. He was a neighbor. It's now circulating all over social media because it so happens that the individual who pulled the trigger was a black man and the child was a white kid. And the general gist of what is trying to be conveyed is that the media is purposely covering it up because it was black on white crime and the media only cares about white on black crime. And, and what I want to address primarily first off on this, this issue is, look, the, the idea, and we, we see this with every, every time there's some kind of egregious shooting... And I'm not talking about street violence, and I'm not talking about police violence, right? Because those are different. As we always talk about, on this show at least, we can, we can comprehend the nuances. And we can understand the differences between each situation. I'm not talking about police-involved shootings or general street violence. Those are totally different issues, each with their own set of considerations, as I always say. Each that need to be uh, focused on in their own right, which I always say. But these random egregious shootings, whether they be mass shootings or whether they be shootings like this, you always see some side of the political spectrum trying to posture and trying to use the particular shooting as a way to further their own agenda. And what do I mean, right? As soon as there's a shooting any kind of mass shooting, if there's any inkling that the individual may have subscribed to Islamic fundamentalist ideology, you will see the conservatives, the, the war hawk kind of side of the Republican Party, the xenophobic side of the Republican Party immediately attempt to say, well, we all know it was a Muslim, but of course Obama won't say that. He won't say the word Islamic extremists. He won't say it. We all know it's Islamists, Islamists, it's Muslims. They want to use that like the Boston Marathon bombers. They want to use that to say, well, we're not tough enough on Muslims. We're not xenophobic enough against Islam. We're not doing enough to violate people's civil rights to check on the Muslims. We're not bombing enough countries overseas. We have to do more. They use that. They use that as a way to do that. 
Now you'll also see if the person happens to be a, per a white individual who subscribes to white supremacist ideologies and does a mass shooting, then the left will immediately seize upon. Well, this is a, a prime example of racism in the country and how it permeates every aspect of our society. And this is a, a prime example of all these dangerous, you know, incel white men out here who are subscribing to white supremacist, national, white nationalist ideology, and that's what we need to concentrate on, right? And now you see, in this case, all these people who are skeptical of Black Lives Matter or skeptical of the media's portrayal of race violence, they're going to use this killing as something to further their own agenda. To say, see, you know, this happens all the time. Black people attack and wipe. All this nonsense. And what bothers me, because again, on this show, it's all about logic. And Larry will always give you logic. And the undeniable logic in reality, the objective reality here is that every one of these individuals are socially marginalized men. Color, creed, really is, is not a, a key driver. Now, if there's a statistic that shows more white men are, vict are, are susceptible, that may be possible. But I don't know because you, you have Islamic people. You have African-American people like the D.C. Sniper, too. You have white individuals like the Mandalay Bay guy. You have older guys like Mandalay Bay. You have younger kids like Dylan Roof. It is marginalized males who are on the Internet who have easy access to guns and have mental instability every single time. The ideology that they choose to subscribe to to justify the mass murder in their own twisted minds is really a secondary thought. It's really almost irrelevant. We spend so much time trying to claim individual shooters for our own pet ideologies and so little time and not even close to adequate time concentrating on the actual driver of the violence, which is young men mentally unstable with easy access to guns. There are so many things we can do to enhance mental illness, treatment to enhance the detection of individuals who are susceptible to this kind of violence, to enhance our gun background checks and to close our loopholes so that these individuals have a harder time getting weapons without infringing upon legal gun owners' rights to own weapons. There is so much room to actually tackle these senseless killings, these egregious mass murders and murders like the one of this five-year-old boy, and we choose, instead of being pragmatic, we choose instead of being practical with how to conquer these shootings and how to, how to deal with these marginalized males and their access to guns. We spend so little time doing that and so much time trying to claim each one of these males for our pet ideologies that we are missing a key opportunity in our society to come together and actually save lives. Actually save lives. And that is terrifying and that is extremely sad and that is extremely unfortunate. So this news story going around about this young boy being killed 
I encourage you, and I've seen many people, to their credit, doing this. It's not about race. I encourage you to report on the tragedy, tragedy, to talk about it, to talk about our issues with marginalized young men with mental instability and their easy access to guns, and to refrain from trying to act like it is a race issue. Now, that being said, I'd be remiss not to bring out the obvious, and I am always fair, so let's talk about it. Had it been opposite, had it been a white young man and a five-year-old African-American child, I guarantee you, and let's just be honest, that the media would certainly seize upon it and they would try to make it a race issue just as much as the right-wing people are currently trying to make this a race issue. You've got to call a spade a spade. It goes both ways. No matter what happens, somebody's going to try to distort the parameters of it. If there's a race angle to play, they will play the race angle because it's divisive, number one, but more importantly, because it generates clicks, it generates ratings, it generates emotion, and it therefore is profitable, as sad as that is, for different entities, depending upon their political persuasions and their target audiences, to make things about race and to exploit any racial angle available in any situation. And we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware of that. Now, to go deeper down the criminal justice, you know, conversation, and then I'll have a little more lighthearted conversation about a new song that came out, or I'll just open up for calls. I want to discuss the Breonna Taylor case. And here's why I want to discuss it. There is a, I understand the anguish and I understand the pain from that killing. And it it is an example of the discrimination in this country and it is an example of young African-American people's lives being undervalued in this country. And that is why Black Lives Matter is such a legitimate slogan. That is why, because black lives are so undervalued in this country that it's disgusting. And that case is a primary example of the issue. But, and I, look, it's been a month now that I have, I have debated within myself and I've been hesitant and had a little anxiety about even delving into the case because it's such an emotional case and it's such a hot-button issue and it's so complicated in the legal considerations that I was scared to tackle it because because people may misconstrue the actual legal ramifications and what I'm going to tell you about the case. However... There has, I've seen lawyer after lawyer, attorney after attorney, politician after politician, who has, for whatever reason, guys, for whatever reason, purposefully failed or elected not to tell you the actuality of the situation with the investigation into Brianna Taylor's death. 
I don't know if it's because they want to stay in people's good graces. I don't know if they're trying to elicit support for themselves by not doing it. I don't know what the driver is, but I can't stand by and not give you the actual all-encompassing information involved in the case and what the legal parameters of the investigation will be. Being an attorney, specifically knowing criminal law, I want you to have faith and to know that if you come to me or you listen to this show, that you will always get the truth. You will always get the 100% truth. There is no placation. There is no bullshitting. None of that. I am always going to tell you the reality of the situation. And unfortunately, it seems like a lot of people do not want to be honest with you in the same way. So I'm going to talk about this case. Now, first off, we should note that this case and something like it would be very unlikely to have happened to a white American woman. That is the truth. That is why people proclaim Black Lives Matter. That is why they march in the streets for substantive change, because this is, a, this is an epidemic akin to COVID, but worse, where black lives are routinely, routinely taken because of the way that our system functions. But make no mistake, Ms. Taylor's death was a product of the system itself. And the individual investigating the case, although there are protests all the time in front of his yard, although there are demands, individuals charged with executing the law need to stay with the law because despite public pressure. Because if public pressure guides their thinking, they will lose their license, and for good reason, they have to maintain what the law dictates. Now, about the investigation. First of all, you can research. The local sources are probably the best. The ones closer to the ground or places like NPR, reputable media outlets that don't necessarily have a slant in any direction are the best places to source information. Here's what we know. Here's what happened in the case that we know so far. And remember, some of the things that are said or, or some of the assertions made by individuals involved in the case may later pr be proven to be false. And if that's the case, then they'll get in trouble. But this is what we we, some semblance of what we know, okay? There was an ongoing narcotics investigation into an individual who did not live where Breonna Taylor lived. He lived at a separate address. Police were investigating him for distributing narcotics. During their investigation, police discovered that he had a prior relationship with Breonna Taylor. I don't know if it was romantic or not. I, I, I think it was. I don't know for sure. That Now, whether that's contested, we'll see. But that was what they said, that, that she had a prior relationship with, with the individual they were investigating. That the individual they were investigating had been known to operate a vehicle and had been seen operating a vehicle on several occasions that was registered to Breonna Taylor's address 
and I believe was registered, or her name was associated with that vehicle in some way. Now, it is not uncommon for people who have relationships with people, and Breonna Taylor, by all accounts, was somebody who had a really good job, who was very good credit, things of that nature, so it's not unusual that people will put a car in somebody's name who has good credit, who has, you know, a lot of good things going for them because they can obtain the vehicle where they couldn't. So, the police say that this individual was operating a vehicle that was in Brianna Taylor's name that, that had links to Brianna Taylor's address. Further, the police said that a package had been delivered to Brianna Taylor's address and that the individual they were investigating for drug trafficking had gotten the package at her address and that it was a package linked to distribution of narcotics. They applied for a search warrant at that point both for the individual they were investigating's house and for Breonna Taylor's house because they wanted to investigate both residences because, they, according to them, there could be evidence of drug distribution at both residences since she was registered to the vehicle he was using and since he had received packages at her address. So there was not a wrong house here. That's not what happened. There was not the wrong house. They executed the search warrant at the individual they were investigating's house first. They arrested him. And then a few hours later, they went to execute the search warrant at Ms. Taylor's house. Now, the judge had signed off on a search warrant for both residences, and the search warrant was legal. He also signed something known as a no-knock warrant. And a no-knock warrant means that because individuals may have firearms or because if you knock, they may run or they may destroy evidence, i.e. flush narcotics down the toilet or destroy it or etc that the police have the authority to just go in without knocking a judge signed a no-knock warrant for brianna taylor's residence it was the residence that she resided at it was the correct address police went to the residence now according to the man that was with her that night he heard banging on the door she heard banging on the door, so they got up, they went to the hallway. That is where she was found, allegedly, in the hallway, not her bed. She was clothed, apparently. The police then broke open the door, and upon breaking open the door, the individual who was with her, the male, thought somebody was breaking into his house, so he fired at the individuals coming through the door. There was a police officer who was hit with the bullets. He was treated for bullet wounds. The police then fired back in that direction, and they wound up tragically hitting Miss Taylor, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, there are issues as to whether the police reports were misleading, i.e., you know, did the guy shoot first? Did they knock at all? Now, there's investigations ongoing. There's neighbors who were witnesses. They're going to say whether they knocked or not or announced who they were or not. The boyfriend said they were banging. That's why he went and got up towards the door because he heard banging. Now, did they say they were police or not, or were they just trying to kick the door in already? I don't know. And there's some issues there. Now, when it comes to murder, the charge of murder, criminal homicide, 
there is a an important element that everybody learns going to law school. So that means that every attorney you've spoken to about this case knows this. Why they have discussed it with you or not, you take up with them. It's called mens rea. It's a, it's a Latin term. What it means is state of mind, intent. Meaning, if you've ever seen a movie or heard of somebody getting off because they plead insanity, what they're doing is... In order to establish that somebody is guilty of the crime of murder, or really any crime other than reckless or negligent crimes, you have to show that they mentally knew what they were trying to do, i.e. to prove purposeful homicide, purposeful murder, you've got to show under the law that the person knew they were going to wrongfully kill somebody and they purposely did it. There's another element called self-defense where even if you acknowledge that you knew you were going to kill somebody, you had a reason to do it because you were in fear of your own life or the life of somebody else. Now all these things come into play in this case and the individual conducting the investigation has to look carefully at all these things because what he's looking at and this is the same in every state across the United States he has to determine if the police were in the house under a legal search warrant and they were fired at first and then they returned fire it's hard to get a murder charge because if you're legally someplace and somebody's shooting a gun at you, you are allowed, under the law anyway, to shoot back. So in order to show murder on behalf of these police officers, they have to show that they did something intentionally wrong that either brought them to the place and they shouldn't have been there, or, or, that they purposely murdered her in cold blood. If the facts are as they've been recounted so far, and the police had a lawful warrant to knock the door in, and then they were shot at and they returned fire, I'm not saying I agree with the outcome, but I'm telling you all who are listening to me, I'm explaining to you why there might not be a murder charge. I'm explaining that to you based on the way the law works. Now, you can disagree with the way the law works. As far as mens rea is concerned, I think that's legitimate, right? We don't want to be sending people to prison or executing them for murder if they didn't intend to kill somebody, right? I don't think we want to be doing that, right? Now, the investigation that's going to take place is going to determine, is going to determine whether the police lied about anything or did anything against procedure or anything else, and if they did, then they could be charged with murder or manslaughter, of course. So say they lied about the package being delivered to the house. They only had the car as the connection, and they fibbed on the search warrant application. Well, they could get in trouble for that. They could be charged with reckless manslaughter. Say he didn't fire the gun first. He only fired back. Well, then they could be charged. Say they didn't knock. They didn't announce themselves. Now, they were allowed not to knock from the warrant. They were allowed not to knock. So that's, that's a dicey thing. 
But what if they, you know, there's some other element there, like the person said they were coming to the door and they still kicked it in. That changes things, right? Because say they did knock, even though they didn't have to, and they said police, and Brianna or, or the man she was with said, we're coming, and they still kicked it in, which would have put that man in fear of his life because he said he was coming, yet somebody still kicked the door in. How does he know who it is? That could be something that could charge them with murder. But if the facts are as they've been reported thus far, it's going to be hard to get a murder charge out of that. We will see what the facts eventually show. And we will see. Now, there's a federal investigation as to whether or not her civil rights were violated. The parameters of that investigation are a bit different. And that will involve more complex issues, i.e. not necessarily the mens rea, you know, common law murder doctrine, but more so, you know, parameters of the investigation, of the warrant itself, like whether her civil rights were infringed upon under the law, whether there was enough there for them to have, you know, broken into her home the way they did and then taken her life. Well, let's be honest. That doesn't mean that this case is not a huge and prime example of why the Black Lives Matter movement is is legitimate. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't be protesting her death. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't be out there doing what they're doing to protest her death. Because let's be honest, do you really think that if some regular white EMT had a car that was vaguely registered to some guy who was vaguely selling drugs and vaguely got a package there. Do you really think, do you really think that the judge would have signed that warrant to kick in that girl's door at two in the morning? Do you really think they would have fired shots so recklessly and carelessly and taken that girl's life and that there wouldn't be an outrage? Do you really think so? Of course not. That's why the entire protest and anguish and, and emotion over the death is completely legitimate. I didn't tell you that to say it, that, that you shouldn't protest it. I'm just telling you the way that the law is so that you have all the facts and you're armed with the facts. Now, somebody's saying, should it change? Yes. Yes, that's one thing you can do to change things like that is to outlaw no-knock warrants. Now, police are going to fight that, of course, because they're going to say, well, what if they destroy the evidence? What if they're sitting behind the door with, you know, a bunch of machine guns? What are we supposed to do? Well, maybe then you say the risk to the individual who was innocent, like Brianna Taylor was innocent in their own home, outweighs the interest that the police have in investigating crime. That's completely valid. That's completely legitimate. And perhaps we should outlaw no-knock warrants. Perhaps that's the avenue. And some jurisdictions have already done that in the wake of Ms. Taylor's unfortunate death. They've already outlawed no-knock warrants. And if you think that I don't have any personal stake in this kind of thing, you'd be wrong. There are people I'm very close to. There are people I love. Love. Who are of color who may have been caught in this type of situation through no fault of their own, who are good, loving people who could have been caught in that crossfire just as much as she was. And that is why people are distraught, and that is why people have had enough. And it's completely, it's something we need to look at as a society and prevent from happening again, and it's something that we need to hold people accountable for. 
I just am not sure if it's going to be those individual officers in the charge of murder. It might be a different kind of charge. It might be a change in the law that should be named after her. It is a travesty, and you should know that under the color of law, where every step of the way, the facts of the case may not prove actual murder under the way the law is constructed, that people are nonetheless illegitimately and unjustly murdered every day in this country because the color of their skin and their socioeconomic standing has certain entities in this country treating their lives as less valuable than other people's. And that is disgusting. And that is one of the primary systemic racist issues in this country, and it needs to be rectified. But I want you, when you go out to have these conversations, to be prepared to have them by being armed with all of the facts. And that is the only reason I delved into that. And like I said, like I said, if anything in that account is deemed false and the police lied, there's still a very good chance they're charged with murder or manslaughter. But that remains to be seen. I just want you to understand what they're looking at and why it's taking so long, because those are the parameters, and it's, it's a tough situation legally. Now, civil, when you talk about a civil lawsuit for wrongful death, I mean, her family's going to win that, and they're going to win a lot of money that doesn't bring her back, but they're going to win. But the parameters of civil law and criminal law are a little different. So you should just know what's going on. Why is it taking so long? That's why. Because it's such a nuanced part of the law. That's why it's such an issue. And I, I wish more people who understand and, and have been educated in those things would come out and speak on it. Not because you want to extinguish or diminish the outrage, but because the people who are outraged should be equipped with the facts so that they know where to change the law to prevent it from happening, where to attack the law so that this doesn't happen again, rather than simply just generally decrying it without being armed with the facts as to why this happened and why it was allowed to happen and preventing it from ever happening again. There are deep injustices within the system in this country, and there are deep injustices within the law, but we have to know where those specific injustices are, where they are exploited by a, a systemically racist system in order to root them out and to rectify them. We need to have specificity and knowledge as to where they are to root them out. So that's why I took the time to explain that part. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, although so lighthearted after such a serious conversation, was the WAP song. I mean, that song... People are talking about it as, you know, it's female empowerment and other people are hating on it like it's horrible. We can go into that. I mean, I think at the end of the day, look, songs like that, I, I think they're fine. I think they're permissible. I think we've been listening to stuff just as vulgar and ignorant since we were children. One thing somebody brought up was that, you know, that was album songs. This is a single. So, you know, you had to really buy the album and delve into it to hear that kind of stuff. The singles on the radio weren't so bad. And let's face it, ours were so vulgar that they actually bleeped out the bad words. These songs kind of subliminally say them so you could understand everything they're saying without it being bleeped. It's kind of interesting. Do I think it's empowering? No, I don't think it's empowering to talk about. I don't think it's disempowering. 
I don't think it's disempowering to talk about that, but I don't think it's empowering. I think it just is what it is, right? You don't have to insult it and diss it like it's like it's horrible, but you also don't have to claim it's the most empowering thing ever. What's empowering is Kamala Harris being vice presidential candidate. That's empowering. Talking about, you know, WAP and we all know what it stands for. I don't know if that's empowering as much as just saying we, what we all know is true. I mean, I don't know. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that, but I'm opening up for calls. 973 uh, 536-2530. 973-536-2530. Call me up. We went through a lot of serious stuff tonight. I want to hear your opinions. You haven't had a lot of calls the last couple weeks. I know we're just getting back into the groove of everything. But shoot me a call. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I want to have conversations about what we talked about. It doesn't have to be about what we talked about today. We could talk about anything. Uh, the conspiracies, we could talk about Trump, we could talk about the, the racial issues, we could talk about Harris, we could talk about anything you want to talk about. Um, but call up. You guys are, you know, going back and forth in the comments, go back and forth on the phone. Let's get some, you know, diversity in the, in the phone calls. Let's get some, some voices out here. And look, if somebody's on the phone for a long time going back and forth and you want to get in or you want to change the pace, then you call up. I got the call waiting here. I see who's calling. I'll click the phone and next thing you know you'll be on the phone and we can go back and forth and the other person can call back and we can do it that way but call 973-536-2530 the lines are open i'm ready to talk to you you guys know how i do when you call whether i agree or not we always have a good conversation everybody's welcome we love hearing different voices on this thing from all around the country it's a cool thing to to, to see it's a cool thing to hear um this podcast, by the way, is going to finally get an RSS feed. It's going to be hosted officially at a podcast site. We have our first call, so let's hear who we got here. You're on the air. Who we got? Hey, it's Rick. Rick, what's up? Rick from Arizona. Rick, what's going on? What's your thoughts, brother? Uh, well, a couple. Okay, first thing with the Kamala stuff, I'm, I'm totally cool with her, all right? Yes. But you didn't bring up the whole issue, which is what I was talking about, was the difference between... The baggage that her and Rice carried, right? Okay, so let, so so you're operating from the premise that you like her, but you would have thought Rice would be a better selection. That is correct. Okay, so okay, so go for it. But I don't have a problem with Harris. Got you. But you left out the whole thing about um, her record with letting police off for uh, whatever whatever offenses the police had. She was very big on that. That was the issue that I thought was going to be a hot-button topic, but obviously people are more interested in uh, her nationality at this point. So but that's a good point, awesome. though. That's a good point. So you're saying one of the problematic things about her record was her lack of enthusiasm for prosecuting the police for misdeeds. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge, huge issue in this country right now, right? And yes. I thought, and nobody's touched it. So, I mean, obviously I was wrong, but... That was the briefest thing that I wanted to talk about about that. Uh, I'm all for Kamala, but you were getting pretty hot on me the other day. So. <laughs> no, but you know what? I think that's a that's a great point because I didn't – I've seen, like, I'm counteracting what I see more, which is, like, what I addressed, the marijuana thing, the truancy. That's a valid point that, look, I haven't delved into the statistics of it, so I can't say for sure whether, you know, agree, disagree, whatever. From what I've read, though, you seem to be correct. It, she was not the most zealous person prosecuting misdeeds by the police. And that's a legitimate thing to talk about. It is. And you're right. That's a bigger yeah, issue than this other stuff. That was my only concern, and it was just a... It was just 
comparison to uh, Susan Rice and the Benghazi thing. You know what I mean? It's, it, I think that is a dead issue as far as the left and even the moderates go. I, I think nobody gives a shit about Benghazi, and they know that that Republican talking point is just that. It's just a talking point. There's no validity to it. But so you really think? To WAP. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So what do you think so, of WAP? So, like, I was just watching the lyric video, and I was like, really? And I couldn't get all the way through it. My wife finally watched the actual video, and she's like, don't watch it. But you said it's, there's been songs just as dirty, and I totally disagree. There's been some allusion to things that men might do to women in the song. Right. Never, like, direct like that. Like, if you start talking about shoving something down her throat until she chokes... And and the explicitness of that, you're not you're not getting any play, any airplay at all. So you're saying that are you are you saying that the explicit nature of this, like in general, was was way beyond what we're what we're used to, or are you saying that the female, what they're saying, like female on male, almost for lack of a better term, sexual violence or sexual, I don't know, aggression. That that yeah. that is more permissible than if a male had said it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It's both of those things. I don't. I have not heard a song this dirty. I don't think in my entire life. Interesting. And, and I'm okay with it. I'm fine. I mean, I don't. I'm not bashing the song itself. But but to say that there have been men that sang songs like this, absolutely not. Interesting. No way. They would have never seen the light of day. So you're saying it's way more? Because I'm trying to think. I mean. You know, the old school songs, like the Dog Pound, like, it ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. I guess you're right. That's not explicit to that regard, to that level. It's just, you know, I screw and then I walk away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wet that beard or I'm going to slide his nose like a ATM card. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking explicit, man. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, you know, you had the... the uh, 3-6 Mafia song, Lick My Nuts or whatever. I'm just being honest with what the song said. And it was kind of... But it, yeah, you're right. It wasn't on the... It, Rick, that song was not on the radio. That was a underground album song. You're right. But I mean, you could compare it to ACDC's Big Balls, but that's all... You know, you could take that either way, right? You're <laughs> Right? No, I agree. I agree. I agree. So you're saying you don't have a problem with it per se, but but don't make a false equivalency that it's like like everything else we've ever heard it's not yeah no i'm, I'm straight up saying if, if a man made a song like that about having that kind of sexual relation with a woman there would be outrage like a hundred percent outrage that makes sense that makes sense and then and, and, and probably rightly so i mean males are more aggressive but i don't even want to get into that that's an awful issue <laughs> right well yeah well men you know the oppression the patriarchy etc cetera, etc cetera, which we know whether whether people agree or disagree to the level and extent to upon which they exist they exist to some extent so so we know male on female violence would be more of a hot button topic than female now do you think it's do you think it's empowering in any way uh, absolutely not i think it's designed specifically to be controversial and get people to talk about it that makes sense and that's a lot of the things that we see today i would i would think so yeah that's i mean that's why kardashians are even Famous at all, right? Right. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. So now, how old your how old your son again? He's he's older though, right? Nine, no, nineteen and twenty. Yeah. So you got yeah. So you 
So he can't even really say because he's already too like older that you know would you let your kid listen to it? Because obviously he can, but. Um, no, I mean, and my son, my son, my blood son was into rap early, and that that kind of was another. That's another issue completely. But he's singing lyrics one night, and I'm like, uh, you can't say that. What did what, what did he say? The N word. Or okay. something? Did he say the N word or something while he was rapping? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Times. yeah, yeah. Pe- yeah. His, but his argument to me, as and I think he was thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I, I bought the album and I like the music. Why can't I say that? Right. <laughs> oh, gee. yeah. See, those arguments, you're like, because you just can't now, which has always yeah, been like tough. That. You know. It's terrible. I mean, it's terrible because, and that's part of this whole racism thing, right? I think I posted something Morgan Freeman saying. Let's stop talking about racism. That'll end racism. Right. I don't believe that's entirely true, but but to try to explain to your son who has been raised completely non-racist. Right. 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 And why you can't do something because to him it's there's you know there's just different shades of brown. Right. 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 That was his impression growing up. Right. So. Again, different topics, different category. What else did you talk about tonight? That makes sense, though, the different shades of brown. I like that. I don't want to get too far off into that, but I I understand it because biologically, anatomically, race is a social construct because in actuality, people are just different shades based on their biology. It's kind of an interesting way to teach it. It's true. He had a friend in grade school that was black, and every time I'd go to pick him up after school, that kid would yell, Dad! Mm -hmm. And run across run across the yard and like all the other parents just like looked at me like what because <laughs> yeah you know, yeah yeah but that's the right way to bring them up so that makes sense the other thing we're talking about well i mean you had a story last week i don't know if it's still relevant today i think it was about the kind of conspiracy stuff we talked about trump and the mail-in ballots um things of that nature i don't know if that 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 issue from last week is still relevant but you know i'm always up to talk about conspiracy insanity so yeah no it's, i mean that's that's more uh, extreme QAnon stuff, and right. uh, I, you know I've had a couple of drinks now, so I'm really not in the mental capacity. <laughs> to that. that makes sense. <laughs> Did you see another QAnon person won a primary? Yeah, this... you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I said, there's 50 or 60 candidates out there. It, it's they're rolling up to be the next Tea Party. That's it, terrifying. Like the Tea Party was far less dangerous than these people are, and the Tea Party was plenty dangerous, right? Right, 100% it was, 100%. And, and it's funny what you were talking about, the shooting of that five-year-old boy, which is awful, right. but uh, I had a friend that was posting that, why isn't this all over the media? Why? And I'm like, because it's a criminal committing a crime. <laughs> right. It's probably mentally unbalanced. You know, it's not that big a deal. Crime happens every day. It's not like when police, who are supposed to enforce the law, are breaking the law, and her response was, that's hypocrisy. How is that hypocrisy? <laughs> right. Because it, because a black person killed a white people and a white right. person, nobody seems to care. Right. Although I saw it everywhere, and obviously she had seen it, so <laughs> it, it, it obviously got around. Good point. But uh, So I posted a picture that somebody posted. It was a meme, and it's got the three white shooters from the different mass shootings. Yes. And their, and their mug shots right, yes. compared with three black people that were unarmed and committed very innocuous crimes right beat the shit in their mugshots I'm like right. that's hypocrisy right so, and it is I mean I mean to, to act as if there's not a racial imbalance in pro- policing criminal justice and in general is just it's just absurd and to act like we 
you know, people are purposely suppressing this story for an agenda is also absurd. I mean, I agree with yeah, that. Right. And that's what they right. want to. And that goes into the Black Lives Matter thing, too. It's starting to seem to me like the agenda is not so much getting equality. I, I was, I can't even remember who it was, but somebody was posting, and, and they were black people, and they're saying, oh, Kamala Harris shouldn't be VP. She should be president. We need to put a black person in the Supreme Court as if Clarence Thomas isn't there. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, when is it going to be good enough? Right. When... It doesn't sound, sometimes it sounds to me like people aren't talking about equality, and this is race or sex even. They're not talking about equality anymore. They're talking about revenge, you know? Well, they I think. They want to make us pay. They want to make us feel like they felt. And I, I understand that to a degree, but it is not going to help achieve equality. But do you think really that's the primary motivation? Or do you think that it's been so no. much like. White men have been the candidate literally almost every election since the inception of the country. And, you know, the, the Supreme Court is, what is it, eight out of nine are, are, are white. And they just want more. They want the canvas of the Congress and the courts and everything to look more like the country looks, which is more diverse. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a part of it, too. And I think it should be more diverse. But the idea that we need to have like a 50-50 split of the sexes, that's nearly impossible and I always bring up the example to my friends that say this like why don't I ever get to see a female plumber's crack right because the plumbing industry is misogynist no <laughs> well what you're so what you're getting at is some industries will organically attract one sex or the other and therefore we shouldn't be looking to equalize literally every industry when sometimes there's no incentive like females you're saying and i don't know maybe there's a bunch of females who want to be plumbers but for the most part that's not really where they're drawn i mean that's a more of a male dominated industry and for good reason or maybe just for natural reason and we can't balance everything yeah no we can't balance everything and it, it and it will sort itself out but you, yeah you can't and i don't think it's the majority it's every group has their extremists right right and it's the extremists that are going, Kamala being VP isn't good enough. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a great step forward. Right. Right. But, no, but, right. But I think that there's a there's a tendency now in our culture to blame everything, especially on white males. And while I agree that we have been terrible people, I guess, historically, right? I... I it, you know what I would say to that? Because to that, you bring up a good point. I, I would say that... It's interesting that, look, if, if white males have been in charge of the country pretty much the entire time it's been exi in existence, and our modern historical perception is going back to, you know, European imperialism, then obviously white males have been the leaders the entire time. So any atrocity committed was committed by a white male. But then again, every advancement or, or allegiance has also involved the white male. So what I would say, I get what you're saying is, yeah, you could say they've been horrible people, or you could just say that we live in a white male-dominated society, they want to equalize it more, and just because you're a white male doesn't mean you're inherently bad. And I think I'm getting, I, I'm agreeing with you in saying, yes, the fact that I am a white male or you are does not necessarily mean that we should never be able to hold certain positions or power or things again because, because we've got to be marginalized. And some people on the extreme left believe that, which is scary. Or that, or that we're automatically racist. Or right. Misogynist, right. You know, I, 
there's a very, I was just arguing with a friend today, and she got livid, and I got sassy. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she was just going on about, oh, men dominate, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, biology, we, we can't have the babies, right? Right. I said something like, and this was not purposeful, but I said, you know, a lot of men, what, what we do to gain power and wealth is to impress and obtain women. And she immediately seized on that obtain part. Right. right? Yes. When all, when all I meant was we just want to find a mate. Right. right. Yes. Yes. And I said, that's biology. That's not misogyny. That's biology. Right. And so she got upset and I said, then I said something shitty. I said, well, like it or not, every, when you look around you, everything you see that is built has been conceived, developed, designed, fought for, and run by men. And that's just the way it was. That's not misogyny. That's just how the world seem to work for whatever reason and that's been that way for hundreds thousands of years probably right i know there are some countries or cultures that had female dominated like groups. matriarchal and societies I that up to her. right i i brought that up to her i said queens and you know cleopatra was a pharaoh and on and on from all the way i, I mean all the way back to, she's like that's not our country i said all the way back to Betsy Ross up through Kamala Harris, right? Right. We've had a lot of badass, strong women do important things. To say that they were able to do that in spite of men, not because of men, and I've had this argument a million times, yes, women marched, and yes, black people marched for civil rights, and, and that helps bring about change, but if white men were so dominant and against it, I mean, the, the end result is they passed legislation that made that happen, right? Because there were no women and there were no minorities in power. Well, see, that, that I, I agree with. So I think if we break, parse out what you're saying, like I think part of it is, is one, one argument that I constantly have, which is that many things that we see that are evident in our society our, are actually outgrowths of our organic... Uh, nature as human beings and you can't curb our organic nature to such an extent to have like an idealist society i.e. not everything that goes wrong or good is like a social construct some of it just natural outgrowths of who we are when we evolved from nature that I agree with I think that's part of what you're saying the other thing I want to ask you though right so and I agree with that so then the other thing is though do you think that so you saw like uh, what was the the film with the the African American women in NASA and all the work they did? I mean, is there a and this it's got to be partially true, right? Has there been and we see it with Trump when you watch his documentary and whatnot is just one egregious example. Do you think though that there have been women who have been innovators and have really been responsible for a lot of the things we do and see, as well as minority people who have been responsible for a lot of the things that we revere that have simply not gotten the credit because some white individual was was the the president of that company or in charge of that individual or the husband of that woman and so he got the credit but the woman or the minority person was really the key driver or innovator uh in yeah, in what we see I, I, get, I get exactly what you're saying and while i agree that yes there was some i guess suppression or taking credit which happens all the time in the business world right yes it, regardless of what sex or race you are right but but the fact 
the fact that those women in what was that called something voices yeah what was that called does somebody know because that was an, a, a great film too yeah but they but they had the jobs right yes yes so so it wasn't like oh they just shunned them because they were black and women because they gave them the jobs in the first place because of their qualifications i mean you might as well argue that you know thomas edison was a white male and because tesla was foreign right Mm -hmm. he got his shit stolen and and didn't get any credit for a bunch of stuff that we use today right 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 this happens all the time and i think Hidden figures, Caitlin, thank you, by the way. Hidden figures, Rick. That's some Caitlin, yes. But I but I think that uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that happens just in business in a regular way it is something that the especially on the woman's side of things, right? They don't understand fully, and nor should they, that the pressures that are put on men in everyday society and the backstabbing and the infighting and the ass kissing and all of the things that we have just become uh, adapted to. You know what I mean? And they're experiencing some of that in the workplace now themselves. Right. Sexual harassment. I am not disputing that. Right. But they're experiencing some of that pressure, right? Yes. And they think that it's because they're women and it's just, it's not. It's because that's the nature of especially capitalism right 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 i i see what you're saying you're saying some things are attributable to to the nature of business per se that that men have gone through anyway and if if some women will attribute that i'm getting backstabbed because i'm a woman when you're saying well everybody backstabs everybody in business and now that you're in business you're just getting backstabbed and by the way, Rick, yeah. just real quick, any women out there who, if I see some people commenting, if you want to dispute it, just call. Call the number, 973-536-2530. I'll put you on the air. If you disagree with Rick, this is what we're doing. We're having a conversation. Let's let's talk. Call up. If you're a woman out there and you take issue with anything, doesn't mean Rick's bad guy or anything, just call up. Let's talk. Let's. I like where we're going with gender. That's an interesting topic. Let's talk. Just telling you, call. I'm used to being a bad guy, so that's absolutely cool. No, and I'm not even saying you're the bad guy. I'm saying that, you know, we just got this dialogue is in. I like the dialogue that's occurring, so let's get some women calling maybe that disagree and let's talk. But I I hear you. I I think, I I hear you. What what I'm, I'm, it's interesting, right? Like, I'm just throwing nuances out to what you're saying, but I I generally understand, right? It's this, and it's kind of what I was getting at when Mallory called a few weeks ago, which was, this idea that some people bring a perspective to the table and it should be inherently valid because we should always listen to their unique perspective. However, if you or I bring the same perspective, like our perspective to the table, that it's immediately invalid because of who we are. Well, I, I don't think... I'm yeah. I'm listening to you. I, I'm agreeing. I'm saying we, everybody ha- should be valid. Everybody should be valid. I'm not right. dismissing the problems that exist. I'm not dispensing the sexual harassment and the, you know, rape and, and all of the Rick, hold on real quick because I got a call coming in, so I want to hear who it is. They, they're okay. probably just, all right. I'll listen in. Call back. You're on the air. You're on Logic and Larry. Who who we got? Hey, Larry. Caitlin. Caitlin, what's going on? Caitlin calling from Freehold. Red Bank, but yeah. Red Bank. Okay, just making sure. So Freehold originally, Red Bank now. Okay, I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear what you got to say here, because this is what we're doing. We're having the dialogue. So what's on your mind? Yes, I just think that there is something to be said about um, how women have been 
treated historically and kind of like how they've had to have their place in the home. And I think without recognizing the emotional labor and the way that women have made it possible for, you know, historically speaking, men to be able to make those gains and discoveries mm-hmm. and things like that, then we wouldn't necessarily be where we are. So I think um, it's really easy to give credit to the people who are making these discoveries and making, um, you know, these great things and have their name on it. But I think it's important to look back and see that, A, everyone has to come from a woman. B, these women were making sure that that could even be possible. Agreed. Now, would you say, now let me ask you this. Is your primary point that Male, the society was so dominated by men that women in the supportive role, you know, by being, by literally birthing all these men, number one, number two, raising them, number three, taking care of the home, enabled them to do it? Or are you saying that not only did they do that, but some of them actually had the ideas themselves and the men just were the ones who were allowed to speak them? And there might be women out there who were wives who were actually the smart one that, like, you know, say there was a famous politician, but the wife was the one with all the ideas. She simply didn't have the right to go out and do it. I mean, is your contention that in a supportive role, women were the primary drivers of all this innovation? Or is it that perhaps in addition to the supportive role, they actually were the legitimate innovators themselves? They just didn't get the credit. Oh, 100. I, I definitely think that's true. I think it wasn't that... Um, the case with the woman who discovered like the strain of DNA mm-hmm. last thing, and it went to Watson and Cricker. I don't, I don't remember that. No, but right, but that's that. I'm getting at what you're saying. That's what I want you to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like because there weren't seats at the table for people of color, for women, and that white men were taking up all the seats at the table. Of course, they were going to be the ones to to be credited for these discoveries, for these. Um, things to be patted on the back for. Right. And so is there, as a woman who's obviously educated, obviously you understand all these dynamics, these historical dynamics. You know, because Rick was kind of saying it seems more like revenge than, you know, equality. What's your position, right? Because what I'm, and I know it's nuanced and it's kind of vague, but what I'm saying is, you know, you're saying, look, all this for all these centuries, these white men, because they simply had the platforms that were not available to minorities or women, they took credit for things. Is your, you know, mentality more that well, we gotta, they gotta take a sideline now, or is it more it's rightfully time for us to sit next to them and be perceived as completely equal, and let's just let's just be legitimately on an even playing field. You know, I mean, what's your actual feeling on that? I would love to have a, a world run by women and people of color and things like that, like deeply, that is how I feel, but I think it's important, um, like realistically and honestly, like outside of my utopian bubble, um, for it to be alongside, and you know, this is, we are a diverse group of people, and there are white men that need to be represented, there are black women that need to be represented and I, I do think it should be alongside but I don't think um, I don't feel it is revenge I think it's like a, people are speaking up there is the conversation is happening and it should be on, alongside 
Right. So you're you're saying it's about time that we have more of a a representative democracy, and it's not just government, right? It's business. It's everything. Our every institution and entity in this country should be more representative of the actual people that exist within it. I.e., white men have certain considerations and positions. However, they shouldn't be predominant over all the other people who have positions and perspectives. And we should all kind of be in the same arena on an equal footing. Hundred percent. And that that makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me, honestly. So I'm glad you you called and kind of and kind of and you see the women on my page by the way you got people saying great call and this and that because I knew and I don't think Rick meant it in a malicious way because we're all having a dialogue but I think it's important to get the women's perspective because in my experience as a professional right forget about domestic relationships or whatever as a professional there have been so many women that have been mentors and leaders and bosses for me that the, their gender is of so little relevance. And, and me, I think, what do we think of this, Caitlin? Let me ask you this question. The, so, so, so we have these, I think we tend to think when we talk about male and female relationships in the workplace and in society, we always tend to, to, to allude to like a romantic thing, meaning like, Every every dynamic we think about, male-female, always relates back to like a male-female relationship. My point is, in a relationship, I tend to be more of like a domineering male figure. However, in the professional world, with my colleagues, with people I work with, with other people, women are on complete equal footing. They're my bosses. They're everything else. My, my romantic relations with women has nothing to do with women being my boss or being on equal footing with me outside of that. Why, do you have an opinion on why we do that? What, what, what does the relationship have to do with it? Like, Can't men and women just exist outside of relationships and have power dynamics that don't deal with, you know, man, male, female romance, you know what I mean? Yeah, I 100%, and I, you know, I think about myself in the same way, like, I, I guess I would be more, I, in my marriage, I guess, I'm more of, like, I just go with the, uh, I try to go with the flow, <laughs> um, but professionally, um, you know, I definitely speak my mind, and, and I've been in leadership roles and, and things like that, um, but I, I think, you know, people still don't necessarily listen to women or trust women or think that they um, have the best ideas or think, you know, oh, okay, yeah, well, that's probably because she's, you know, she's just being emotional about something. So right. But that has anything to do with it. Now, do you think, let me ask you this question, too. Do you think that, is that a general perception of women or is there some male insecurity that derives from their intimate relationships that they then manifest and project onto women in professional situations i.e. Oh my God. I didn't think about that but 100% right like do you think there's some men right who would assign traits to you because they think of you in the paradigm of like their women they interact with and they're insecure with a woman telling them what to do because they want to have traditional gender roles at home and it has nothing to do with you I think that's well, valid I don't want to listen to a woman who does she think she is <laughs> right. Like, right like I think that has something to do with it no I think 
And I'm not trying to diss men. I'm a man. I'm a white dude. I'm I'm proud of me. But like you know, I think some men could be a little. And I'm not, some men could be a little bit like that. And it might manifest itself in the professional setting. All right. I think that's an interesting point. Very interesting point. So Caitlin, I'm listening. Like men that are feeling like they're attacked, especially white men, have feeling like they have to overcompensate and say. Well, not all men, not all like men. <laughs> right. Because of that, they're feeling, you know, like they have to, to jump on. Well, I'm not listening, not because you're a woman, but because your idea is you know. Right. To... Like, why even give that qualifier, right? Because if you totally. knew, if you really put her on equal footing. See, I'm one of those people that thinks if you really put race or gender on equal footing, you wouldn't even have to give the qualifier. The only time the qualifier would happen is if they attacked you and say, whoa, 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 I wasn't even thinking about that, right? Like, if you're not thinking about it, then why are you thinking about it and, like, putting it out there? You know what I mean? Yeah, 100% with you. Makes a ton of sense. Caitlin, you had an awesome call. I appreciate your call because it was great. Call again because that was very dope. Like, I I want everybody to call because I know you listen. Call again. We need more voices on this thing. That was a great call, and we appreciate it. And all the ladies on the comment section obviously appreciate it, so that was great. Well, this better listen too, all right? Yes, I will. And I'll see you soon, hopefully. Yeah, all right, take care. All right, take care. Bye. Okay. Now, see, that this call, this is what we got to do on this podcast. Get the different, you know, things back and forth. You got Larry Crane here speaking. What are you, what are you saying? You're talking about your mother was one of the first people. You're saying she ran the businesses. Is that what you're saying? You can call if you want. You can just talk about it. But... Um, Obviously, if there's a Larry Crane, then, you know, you can put the pieces together with who that would be because it ain't me um, talking about what's going on with uh, women in the family structure doing serious things. Um, you could tell what that, who that is, maybe. Um, no profile picture, which uh, we got to get a profile picture on there. But, uh, you know, that's a tune-in. So, look... <laughs> To me, that's that's the type of thing we gotta have on this this cast. Like, I'm trying to grow this damn thing. I know I always do this when when it's winding down, but it's like we gotta really grow this thing and get it kind of where we're going, which is you know legitimate conversations amongst different stakeholders and people. Rick, you want to call back and, and answer any of that? You don't have to, like, cause I, cause Rick. By the way, nothing that you said, I didn't. You were not the catalyst or the straw person for who I was addressing. I thought you brought up some interesting points in terms of, you know, the white male uh, role today in society and how we're kind of on our heels. And we've got to be, you know, you know, certain things you said, like in our conversation made a lot of sense. And then certain things Caitlin said made a lot of sense. And I think, you know, that's the that's the beauty of this, though, right? Like, it's, it's a small podcast we get with the listeners we get. It is going up on RSS soon, so we're going to be on all the major podcast sites. We're going to be on all the major podcast sites going forward. And I just think it should be a space where, you know, I'd like to even get we get some conservative voices. Where we're on the left and we're all these different iterations of, of the left. And we, you know, have all these different stakeholders and people on the show. And you have people calling in and having conversations. The, the primary driver of this thing is that I don't care how small it is, how big it gets. 
the primary driver of this show is that intelligent people are being objective, tuning in over some smooth music, but being objective and having discussions that wouldn't necessarily otherwise happen with our society today. We don't necessarily have the mediums that are objective that way, where men, women, people from across the country, people from different persuasions and, 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 and ethnicities and things are going to come together and just have a legitimately free exchange of ideas. And all I'm trying to do is facilitate those conversations. I'm just trying to facilitate those conversations and to make them go. If you call me, and, and I think a lot of people have realized at this point, I'm not sitting on this microphone to sit here and, you know, um, and I'm reading Rick's point right here. And, and Rick, no, no, no so let's just be honest. Like, I don't think anybody, and, and, and we know, like, this is the thing, right? Like, like, when I brought up the Taylor case, right, I'm simply giving the information from a perspective that is a truthful and objective one. It's not a position. And I think when Rick called, he was, he was bringing up a point that we all have on our minds, a point that we all contemplate as as time goes on a point that we want to discuss and you're not there's nothing wrong with anything you said and Caitlin just opened the door for Caitlin to call and give a differing perspective not even differing probably a perspective that you would agree with in a, in a lot of ways it just opened the door to have a conversation so by you calling and talking about that you opened the door for that, which is amazing. And, and, and Rick, the thing with you is, just to say, I wish, I can't wait till you come to New Jersey because we are going to chill. We're going to have a cigar. We're going to have some whiskey. We're gonna, I'm going to take you around Newark, and I'm going to take you to the shore. I'm going to take you to New York. But when you are on the phone and we're talking back and forth, we agree a lot more. We have a lot more dialogue than online because I think a lot of conversation and tone gets lost online. So you are a, an amazing contributor. And I think you opened the door for the conversation that Caitlin wanted to bring up to take place. And I think all of us kind of understood how women feel in this historical and social situation now based on what she said that kind of brought it out. I agree with what Caitlin said as far as women have been contributing for probably centuries and simply weren't recognized. But that's the goal of this podcast. So whether it starts small or gets larger or stays small, the fact is... I think this is an interesting medium to have to just facilitate conversation. And if you guys haven't, you know, figured it out yet, I'm a facilitator, right? I have opinions for certain, right? And you know my opinions, they're well noted. And I'll, I express my opinions on this, on this show. But when I'm on the show... When you call me, I'm not a Mark Levin, I'm not Rush Limbaugh, I'm not one of these blowhards. When you call me, and when we have a discussion, I will facilitate and, and understand what you're saying and bring out what you're saying, put it back out to the audience, and then invite dialogue. My role here is to 
facilitate dialogue and to facilitate objective ideas and whatever makes sense and facilitate logic. That's what the show is all about. And that's all I care about. So don't hesitate to call. Don't hesitate to listen. Don't hesitate to contribute next time the show rolls around, which will be next Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as it always is. And you know you can count on my voice, and you know you can count on the smooth vinyl in the background. I will be sending out the RSS website feed, the new hosting site, and wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to find the Logic and Larry podcast on it. It's going to go out to all mediums this week. This show, which will be recorded every Friday live, will be distributed, recorded already, to all the primary. Hold on, we got another call. You're on the air. Who we got? You got to turn down the radio. Who we got? So this is would be Larry Crane calling from Freehold, New Jersey, a.k.a. Bucky. The original Larry Crane. Well, the, well, the second Larry Crane. I'm the third one. Well, yeah, but it's not pretty in the middle initial, yep. Yep. So what? what's up? What do you got to say? I don't know. <laughs> Are you going to talk about your mother running the business or what? Well, she did. Of course she did. And she was one of the first women that was hired by McDonald's. It was a test. It was a trial program. It was a pilot test. And so, they worked while the kids were at school. They worked part-time. So your mother... Your mother, my grandmother, was part was was she at home before then? Yeah, yeah, that was her first job. Well, she you know after she got married, that was her first job. And then she went to McDonald's and she she did well there. Yeah, she ran the front. Then she got in an argument with some other lady and then she left. But then they they opened up businesses and she she ran the businesses where my father stayed at corporate working for mobile. So your father was working corporate and then he opened businesses. What kind of business did he open? Dry cleaners and uh, a luncheonette and laundry. And then, and you're saying she pretty much ran them while he was at regular work. She ran them. My dad was only there on Saturdays. All right, so she, she ran, ran them. Everything. So, so. Yeah, she ran everything. So you're saying women run businesses and everything else, and they've probably been doing it a long time. Even back then, that was a long time ago. And she was still running the businesses. Yeah, she was running the business very successfully too. And even in your professional career, you've encountered women who were doing, who you were, your bosses, your colleagues, and some of them were very good too, right? Yeah, some of them were good, and some of them were overcompensating too. Well, what That's do you? Another problem, which is probably where they get the bad rep from sometimes. Well, what do you mean by overcompensating? They become bullies. They become bullies because what? They're trying to prove that they they're could. In a position of, they're in a position of authority. They have power, and they want to prove that they can. You know, do something that, that you can't, or they got a position that you didn't get. Gotcha. It a couple times. So you, so a couple times though, you've seen women try to prove something to you because you're the man, and they got the job. Oh hell yeah! So that's interesting. So you've seen you've yeah. seen kind of Caitlyn's point and Rick's point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, like coming to me, there's, there's, you know, it's a, it's a big society with a lot of different people, and you can't control everybody's opinion. Everybody has different opinions, so. You're going to get people that accept it and people that don't accept it. And you're also going to get examples of women that do great in their job, and you're going to get women that don't. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Just like men. Just like some guys get hooked up because their father had the job and whatever. And some guys are really good at their job. My father always 
said that people that people in his in his corporation, which was you know large giant oil company, got promoted to their level of incompetence. Got got promoted to their level of incompetence. That makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. They would they would get rid of them, and they would get to a level where they didn't get them to a point where they couldn't do any more damage. Mm-hmm. They promote them out. And he said on TV shows and movies a lot of times it's true. You're right. That makes sense. That makes sense. It happens. All right. So before I let you go, what's your opinion on Donald Trump and his handling of the coronavirus? Donald Trump's an asshole. <laughs> that's, that's that guy that uh, that that, uh, that Dante guy, whatever his name is, that asked the question why you're lying all the time. But send him an email. What can he respond back? <laughs> What'd you send him an email about? I told him, I told him for having the guts to finally stand up and ask that idiot, you know, why are you lying all the time? I told him, I said, I said, what you should do is next time, you know, it's great that they're fact-checking that guy uh, after the fact, after the briefings and stuff. Right. They go, well, okay, we have 27 lies that he tells the mistruths, and they go over it. I said, wouldn't it be great if somebody stood up and said, Mr. President, you're lying, we're out of here. <laughs> Just leave. Leave it on the way out. And on the way out, say that thing, you know, uh, from that, that movie Network. Um, I'm, uh, what was it? What was the, uh, the quote, uh, exactly? Let me see, I found it. Um, yeah, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take this shit anymore. <laughs> and just say, shut and up, Trump. Walk out of the room. <laughs> He's retarded. He's ridiculous. He gets asked a question he doesn't like, he just turns around and walks away. So mm-hmm. why, not the, why don't the reporters do it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the first reporter that had enough guts to ask him out and out and tell him that he's lying all the time. Finally, because it's ridiculous what he gets away with. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's what he said, finally, I told this guy, thank God, you know, you finally had enough balls to come out and tell this guy to his face that he's freaking lying to everybody. Yeah, it makes sense, you're right, he's ridiculous. And he's got the mail-in yeah. ballot thing now, trying to already say that we're stealing the election from him, because he's an idiot. Oh, uh, it's all BS, there's less than like zero zero point zero 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 one percent of election things that are that are fraudulent. And then whenever they get one, they, they catch it. Yeah, they always catch it. See what happened in Patterson. See what happened. Well, they caught those people, you idiot. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He's a jerk. We know he's a jerk. Yeah, they're pulling up uh, uh, post office boxes all around the uh, country, though. They're pulling them up. They're cutting the hours of the post office. He's out now trying to rig the election. You I saw that, right? Or not. Yeah, I'm going to go to the freaking polling station and go myself. Just to make sure to get this fucking guy out of here. Yeah, I'm doing that too. I'm walking right across the street. I'm not mailing my shit in. I'm not trusting that. You, yeah. but Dad, what'd you see? You see? It was never crowded over there. I should be able to go in and be safe and you know, we're yeah. to whatever. I'll be all right. What'd you see? You saw he's trying to move the mailboxes, right? I saw he's literally moving blue mailboxes. He's removing the, the mailboxes that are on the street around the community. They're picking them all up in about four or five cities across the country so far. They cut the hours of the post office in about five states right now, and they've removed the uh, mail sorting machines and the and some of the uh, the mail things, uh, mail uh, hubs. There, uh, there's mail backing up and piling up. And so there's the so the video. There's people waiting hours to go in to get their mail. They haven't gotten there over like two weeks. And people wow. Are checks and medications through the mail. And it's blowing up. That guy is. He should be, they already filed an ethics complaint against that guy. What's his name? Joy or Joyson, whatever his name is. Who's the head of the USPS or whatever that Trump put there? It's Lackey. Yep. Yep. He donated over, over $2 million to his campaign. They're putting him, uh, somebody filed an ethics complaint against him because he, he invested in Amazon while he was working at the United States Postal Service as the, as the director. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, he's benefiting off. He, you know, it's, it, it, it's just insane what this guy's getting away with. 
It is. And everybody acts like it's normal. That's what I said about society. There's a whole bunch of people, there's QN, Q people, and whatever else supporting this guy that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Just like they did with that Brianna Taylor thing. I had no idea what the hell the real story was about. That all I knew was that some unarmed black woman got shot by the cops. Right, you don't know the whole ins and outs, right? Because immediate, no. you don't ever get the true story. And Trump, all you get is like these QAnon nuts. They think he's fighting like child sex trafficking or something because they're out of their minds. Yes, that's the same thing. Yeah, because that's how crazy these guys get. People are nuts. They're stupid. Let me tell you something. If nothing else about this this guy Trump, he brought out the the low the. <laughs> it's amazing to me how many ridiculously. And say it nicely, unintelligent people that are in this country. Isn't it crazy? It's kind of scary, though. It's scary. It is scary because they get—they're the ones that are out there, you know, yelling, and screaming, and voting, and doing all that other crap, you know. And the other people that are just like, oh, you know, it'll work its way out, you know. You can't. <laughs> this election thing is going to have a very big turnout because you can't be complacent. They didn't have the turnout last time, which is why Clinton lost. And this time it's not going to happen. Like you said, Michigan—he lost. He won Michigan by ten thousand votes. That was it. Yeah, so you think he probably going to... a couple of blocks in Detroit. Yes, he's probably going to lose this time because people ain't going to sit around anymore this time. That's what, the, that's what the Democrats should really be working on is voter, is voter, voter turnout. They've got to get this voter turnout going on. I don't know if mail-in ballots are going to work, but uh, I think they really need to focus on the drop-off boxes, the specifically drop-off boxes for the ballot. So yeah, wait, not by the post office, by the best, by the by the election committee. Wait, so you because I saw something like this earlier. You're saying that if you have a mail-in ballot, you don't have to wait for the mailman. You could take it to somewhere to drop it. <laughs> I don't know if uh, like New Jersey has it. I'm sure they probably do. But yes, around the country, especially in uh, I can't remember what state it was, they've been doing mail-in batting, uh, voting for a long time, and they have specific ballot boxes around. You drive up and you drop it off right in the ballot box. Doesn't go through the post office. That's better. That makes so sense. Right to the election committee. That's what they should be doing. That makes sense too. That makes a lot of sense. That's good. We should be doing yeah. that more. Why would you put it? Up? Yeah, you can do it safely with coronavirus. You drive up, drop it in, and again, then then the election people come and get it. Right. right. There, whether it's the polling place, you know, we have a couple of places around town. You drop it off, it's just like a mailbox, but it's a it's a ballot box. Right. That's good. We should be doing that more. That's that makes a lot of sense. That's good. All right, we'll do that. All right, Buck, we love you calling in. You got to call in next week again. You got to keep listening because it's, it's a welcome uh, voice on here. That's Uncle Danny. That's good. So get him in next time. All right, get Uncle Danny in here too. All right, Dad. All right, talk to you later. That was my father, obviously, Larry Crane. Obviously, you knew that, senior. That was a good call by him. So. This podcast is really taking off. I think we had a really good, another good podcast, another good show. Like I would keep going. It's, it's this thing becomes so fun because then you call, then Caitlin calls, and then then my dad calls in, and then we're talking back and forth about Trump, and it's just great. It's fun. Everybody's having fun on the podcast. We got to keep this going every week, guys. We got to do this again next week, and next week I want regular callers. Like, I want Rick to call in with his perspective, then I want Caitlin, then I want my father calling in, you know, then I want Alex calling in from the teacher's perspective, my sister calling in, then I want, you know, 
I want everybody calling. I want Mallory calling in, you know, with her debate against me with certain certain criminal justice things. This is this is what we need. Spreading the knowledge, spreading, you know, the vibes, spreading, you know, just on a Friday night. We're all too old to be out going crazy. We just get on here and just talk about logic and sense. It's another episode of the Logic and Larry podcast. This will be available on every medium this week. You are all awesome people. Love all of you. Thank you for joining me tonight. I will see you next week at 9 p.m. Good night.